Hello and welcome to Community Topics, number eight of Duelist Community. I am everyone playing the part of Andrew today. Yes, you are. And I am the same thing that you are, a mystery that at one point I was completely determined to solve. I really thought it needed solving this mystery. It needed an answer, this question that our existence is. And the farther I go along, the more quote unquote time passes, the more I realize that the mystery is really just meant to be appreciated, to be looked at from a distance and just taken in, in awe. Most of the time, if, you're, if you have any degree of clarity, that's the point, really. Allow the mystery to be. And with that in mind, let's pick apart the mystery for an episode. Community topics number eight. This is an exciting one because I know there were certain people in our Discord that were really rallying to make this topic a possibility for this episode. And so we appreciate all of the work and the effort and the will and, and the uh, dialogue that went into making this happen. Today's topics are really exciting. The double slit experiment and our potential when we get out of our way. Now I'll admit that there was a third topic that did tie for second, which was the impact of the metaphysical. We're gonna try and get into that if we can today, but considering how much is in the first two topics that I mentioned, we're going to do our best. I'm not promising anything. We might have to have another vote. So, Andrew, why don't you walk us through what you know of the double slit experiment and what you took out of it? Awesome. Yeah. All right. I figured we should probably do some sort of breakdown because I'm sure someone can go look up a YouTube video and, and find I, I found some stuff um, when I was realizing how popular this was getting in discord and i was like i should probably look into the double experiment so i could actually talk about it so from my understanding it's essentially an experiment where there's two slits and when something like a particle goes through the slits like sand for example on the other end it just lands on the other end. And if it's like lands on a wall, say on the other side of the slits, it's just looks like two slits. But then when something that creates waves goes through it, like say water, and when it's, it's going through, it creates, creates waves. And so those waves, as they go through the slits, they essentially double the one wave becomes two waves. And as the two waves cross over, there's parts that cancel the wave out and parts that continue going. So when it hits the wall, that's, you know, whatever, a couple inches from the slits, however, they're running the experiment, it, it shows up as, as a bunch of different lines, the most, uh, impactful in the middle where the greatest forces in the wave and then, and then less impactful on the ends. And so the interesting part is when particles go through and they are observed going through, they act as though they're particles. They land on the other side, like they were the sand that I explained before, and they line up in two slits. And then the super interesting part is say you have a camera and it's, it's watching, and then, you know, you unplug the camera or slyly turn it off. So you want them to think that they're still being observed, but they're not as they go through, they actually end up acting as if they were the wave and they no longer act in the same way. So the fascinating, miraculous part of this is why the fuck do they act like that when they're being observed and then act completely differently when they're not being observed. And that's my understanding of it. 
That was awesome. That's a great introduction to it. It gets weirder from here because so the single particle that is sent through one or both of those slits, it's going to go through one or the other, right? And if we observe it, it does just that. It goes through one or the other, which is just fine. But when we don't observe it, when we just observe the pattern that reflects through after the slits, when we just look at the result, we see that interference pattern. And that's what we're seeing from the waves. But it was just one particle. Now, they didn't understand that at first. They're like, okay, it makes sense if we're sending like a, a trail of particles through. Maybe those particles as they're going through are bouncing off one another and that's what's creating the wave effect. So they, they limited it to one particle and sent it through. And they still got the wave effect with one particle. And it's because that particle, upon coming up to the slit, became just potential. So it went through both slits, the same particle, potentially went through both slits. And the interference pattern is caused by it interacting with itself. That one particle is superpositioned in all possible locations. It both went through both slits and went through neither slit. It's in all possible locations. And the wave pattern is caused by its interaction with its own potential self until it's observed. And then it breaks the wave and it becomes one potential possibility, the straight line. That's what's trippy about it, is the fact that up until it's observed, that particle is potentially everywhere and serving every function. What changes is the context. And the context seems to be completely attached to our existence as the awareness observing it. It's fascinating. Like, I don't even know where to start besides, I guess, like the first thing that comes to my mind is like the observer observed relationship and how as the observer, we impact the observed and as the observed, we impact the observer, but like, which one is it? Is it, is it the particle impacting what we're seeing? Like the observed impacting the observer, which is probably what people don't assume initially. People probably assume it's the observer impacting the observed, but it's also how we're observing it that is being impacted by what is observed and and you know it's like both and neither i guess but yeah this one trips me up quite a bit because it's like it's all existing in potential but then it happens so like yeah it's potential but it still happens how it happens so mm, Oh, I hear you. It's it's yeah. Schrodinger's cat, right? Like if there's a cat in a box, you don't know if that cat is alive or dead until you open the box. It's just potential. Right? And so there's that whole thought experiment. I mean, obviously somebody's going to be like, well, it's a living cat unless it's dead. And you could disregard the entire thought experiment, but it's worth looking at, especially given where scientists are now looking at the possibility, the very real possibility of other neighboring universes. And they're theorizing that these, these other universes have completely different laws of physics, that in, in some of them, time would go backwards, for example. Right. And so the question is, why is that particle, the, the potential of that particle collapse to what it is collapsing to? Why is it suddenly going in a straight line? In one of those other universes, it wouldn't. 
in one of those other universes with the different laws of physics, it wouldn't. And the observer there would be different. It would still be the observer. It would still be the same observer we are. So perhaps the movement of the particle is very much related to our dominant perception of our relationship with reality because we're so locked into the physical mentality, it moves physically, very, very physically. Whereas if we were to relax that a little bit, perhaps we would start to see more than one potential location actually manifest to actually see some gray area, kind of like dreams where one reality kind of can fuzz into another reality just because it's not so solidified. And that actually got me thinking because the distortion pattern that we see from the waves, what's really interesting about it is the, the bright spots you're seeing are where the tops of the waves crest. That's where the most intensity is, is where those, those, those potentialities, because again, there are no actual waves. They're still just individual particles, but they're interacting with each other, creating waves. So it's still the same particle, except in different variation, working in different variation against other different variations. And so all of those crests are basically the most intensity of, of possibility. That's what you're seeing in that distortion pattern. Maybe that's what we're talking about. Maybe our perception of the physicality of the particle is like that crest. Our dominant mentality as being physical beings on this planet is just the crest that we're embodying in terms of potential perceptions of ourself. And that's what's altering the, the particle. That's what's altering how it moves. Just something I was thinking about. Yeah, so you think it's, our men, like it really comes down to our, our mentality of the physicality of ourselves that impacts the particles. Like we know that that's what we're made out of. And we see ourselves as completely, you know, physical beings separate from everything, as opposed to, you know, whatever we are deep down that sort of semblance awareness of awareness. I know it's like, you can't really say what it is, but maybe that's a little bit closer and letting go of the physicality of everything. So could it be that, it, yeah, it's just our, our mentality of the way we see ourselves, seeing the particles as something that make us up. Therefore we see them as physical, as opposed to, you know, the, the energy, the vibrations, the matter that has been condensed into such slow moving states, but it's still those vibrations. It's still that energy, but because we have believed this to be the truth for so long that that's literally how we see it. So could it be that it's almost like an evolutionary limitation of our sight or, or the way that we interact with things that it is looking the way that it does when we're not observing it, but we can't even see it that way, similar to the way that we can't hear certain frequencies or we can't see certain UV rays. So it actually does look like that, but we just can't see it when we're observing it because of our mentality, because of our evolution, because of the ideas that we hold on to as truths about ourselves. I would think even because of the complexity of our energetic existence, let's just say, because you were saying earlier that the particle affects us and we affect the particle because there is no division. There is no difference between the observer and the observed. They're not two different roles, right? So perhaps even this insight, perhaps this observation is just the increasing of complexity to our existence that we are actually starting to see a different energetic level just be by being able to accept that it's there. 
by being able to question that perhaps it's possible, perhaps we're able to actually start seeing the world in a different way. And that's all this is, is the process of doing that. The, the entire conversation that we're having right now is just like synapses firing and, and discovering a new insight that affects the whole, right? So perhaps the observation of the particle, just like you know the uh, consumption of psychedelics, is an opportunity for the, the particle or the psychedelics to teach us about it because we are it it's teaching us more about the lack of division between the two so it's really interesting but i think that a big part of this and, and this is where scientists when they talk to spiritual people and spiritual people are like oh double slit experiment shows that we can affect reality and scientists go oh god and the reason is because people try to use that in terms of manifestation i have control and that is the temptation in that I have control. But if that were the case, we'd be able to control where that fucking particle is going and what it's doing. And we don't. We just know that we're affecting it. And I think that, again, comes down to the scale of our perception, to the fact that we still see ourselves as individual pieces, that we don't recognize we are all one collective consciousness. This is why I say I think it's our collective perception that is dictating the path of the particle or the action of the particle. So when we're trying to affect reality, we are always doing it from the terms of my body, me, I'm affecting reality. And we're not thinking about it. Oh, I'm everything. I'm all these people. It's like we want to leave everybody behind so we can do it ourselves and have the glory, as it were, right? But I don't think that's how it works. I think that that selfishness is exactly the block to it. I was saying this in an earlier episode that when we talk about Jesus, we always talk about Jesus and not the crowd of people that were with Jesus because they were all working on their own shit too. Imagine the potential of all of those people questioning their identity, questioning what is. Imagine how much could change with that many people just aware that they were all one and that none of this is as it appears to be. I think that's where we start getting into the water to wine thing. I think that's where we start getting into the walking on water thing. I think that's when we start, we can actually start to question how physical this physical reality is, but I don't think it can be done from the egotistical perspective of I'm going to do magic now. I don't think that's the point. I, I think that we do have an influence over the collective reality that we experience. People will often, will often say that, you know, well, there are limits in reality that we know of. There are limits in this universe that we know of and only because we've only seen it for a certain amount of time. It's, it's all still deductive reasoning, right? We don't really know. Often somebody will say, well, there's the speed of light. Nothing moves faster than light. Light travels through space. Space moves faster than light. Think about that. To dwell on that for a bit, for as long as, as far as light can travel, it's got to travel through something. Is that moving? What is the nature of that thing that is moving through? Is it expanding into what? Right? Things aren't as simple as we'd like them to be. And I think the more that we question that, the more possibility is in front of us. And that kind of leads us to the next topic, which is what is our potential if we get out of our way? And we're talking about getting out of our way on a collective level. We're talking about getting out of our way on an individual level because they are the same thing. But I want to mention, and this is what inspired that thought about the scale of our intention the acceptance that we're more and more and more of this and the potential impact that that has. We talked about this in our manifestation workshop briefly, but in 1993, there was a meditation experiment that was done in Washington, DC, where a group of 800 to 4,000 
meditators over a week, I believe it was, had the intention of dropping the crime rate in Washington, D.C., just through holding a group meditation and, and intending peace and clarity within themselves. They intended to drop the crime rate by 20%. That was what they wanted to do. And the chief of police at the time laughed at them and said, the only thing that's going to drop the crime rate in this city by 20% is a blizzard. The crime rate dropped against the normal trend by 23.3%. So there was an impact, but there was 800 to 4,000 people there. And you can't, and there's no way to quantify who was more aware or anything else. You really just have to look at it as one part of a collective being suddenly paying attention to a specific function, just like we might start paying attention to our health. And if that's possible, then what else is possible? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, as you, as we let go more and more of the individual, it's, it's like the next step is seeing yourself as the collective. And so it's, yeah, it's almost hard to even say what could potentially be possible, but yeah, with all the, the scientific stuff too, there's never been, it's not like it, it gets proven. It gets, things get disproven over and over. And it's like, it's like kind of getting to the being able to say what the truth is or say what is real. It's like it's not as important as saying what isn't real, pointing out what isn't the truth. And eventually it's like that, you know, that like you were just saying, that deductive reasoning, but you never quite get to it. it it's not like this equals this and that's it. It's just like letting go of all of those layers. And it's always that process. So that's all it ever is with anyone letting go of anything about themselves. And so I think it's like a, a such a very different type of mentality with the ego trying to do things and accomplish your potential. And this actually reminds me a lot of the uh, Chump Change podcast I was on because they talked about potential and they're like, oh, well, you know, I what do you mean? I, I have a certain amount of potential. I forget exactly what they said about potential, but it was something about accomplishing your true potential. And like, I have to focus on it and do it. And it's such a limited idea. And through that, you're not ever really going to get there because you're very much limited to the confines of the ideas of the concepts. And it's more so reaching your potential is letting go of the limitations of everything that you think you can't do or think that isn't possible as opposed to trying to build yourself up to everything that is possible. Because I don't know, the way I think of it is like, it's such a, so much more of a fragile existence or, or mindset to have, because it's all ego. It's all this separate idea of yourself, this concept that's you're trying to build up and keep trying to build up. But with that, it's like, you know, you're climbing that wobbly ladder or that wobbly stool and all people can just like come over and kick it down. But if you're, if you're going deeper into yourself, letting go more and more, it's like, you're getting like sturdier and sturdier. So you can't get kicked down. And through that, it's like, I guess it could be, I was trying to think of like, what could I compare this to? I guess it's kind of like a tree growing roots. And it's like letting go is like growing those roots. And then through that, it's like you expand and it's not this wobbly thing that you're standing on. It's just 
letting go so much that there isn't so much that can be shaken because you're not holding on to anything, but you're still growing through the letting go and not trying to build anything. It's just happening. It's like nature is just happening and growing. And and like we talked about uh, a while ago about how if all the humans became extinct and we had an apocalypse, like nature would very quickly overgrow everything. That's how I think of letting go. That's like you reaching your true potential is, is like that nature overgrowing everything. And it's through letting go of the idea of yourself. It, it like just grows so quickly as opposed to trying to work so hard to build up this idea and, and become something because it's like, why are you really trying to become something? What mentality is that being derived from it's being derived from a, a state of lack is what it's being derived from. And so you're only reinforcing that. So you think you're building yourself up, but you're really slowly sort of chipping away at the truth of what you are because you're diminishing and getting further from the recognition of what you really are by reinforcing that lack. So it always comes back to a letting go appealing back to achieve that potential. It's not this like egoic idea that we've become so, you know, that's run rampant through our society. Yeah, exactly. It's interesting you brought up trees because if you think about the symbolism of trees, they're not trying to grow up. That's, that's a result of them deepening their experience, deepening into where they are, which is exactly the point. We are deepening into where we are. And as a result, all of our roots get connected or rather we start to realize that they never were separate, but we lack the ability to see that because we're so absorbed with what we're doing up here, what we're building, but that's not the foundation, right? That's not where all of this comes from. So I find it really interesting that we have yet to really question this in terms of our science and what's possible for humanity. This is one of the reasons I'm not a big fan of the word human, right? Because we immediately think meat suit, right? Biological body on a planet made of dirt and rock and other organic materials. And we immediately have this narrative and we completely ignore the subjective. We ignore the existence of the subjective experience, which is just as equally true. So if the subjective is just as equally true, that is the final frontier. That's the place that we haven't been looking because we don't understand it. It terrifies us and it requires us to be self-responsible. That's the only problem with it. We still don't understand how to solve the, I think it's the big problem of consciousness as coined by David Chalmers, we don't understand where consciousness comes from. We don't understand where it originates or what its role is in reality. We just know that it seems to pop up everywhere the environment is correct, everywhere the situation is right, consciousness is there. Why? Well, because it is reality. But we're so far removed from that, that we walk around and we tell ourselves what we can and cannot do constantly. Constantly, despite the fact that it's all based on a very limited version of who we really are, exactly as you said. So here comes the interesting part. What is our potential in just letting go of who we think we are? Now, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Marvel Comics, but Jack Kirby, who was one of the original creators of The, the Incredible Hulk, created The Incredible Hulk based on an, an actual experience in his life where he watched a mother lift a car to save her baby. Now, a lot of people will go, oh yeah, sure he did. I imagine, I'm sure that happened. 
actually it's happened more than once there was another lady in 1983 uh she lifted a car to save her baby there was a firefighter in 2018 in florida who lifted an suv straight up 12 inches off the ground to save somebody from dying and these are all things that ordinarily we go that's not possible no the physical human body it's made out of flesh and bone there's no way you could do that but but it's been done right there's a 76 year old grandma in russia who can break horseshoes with her hands, right? And she's been strong like that since she, since she was 10. What's happening there? But we immediately go, well, I can't do these things. Therefore, human nature dictates it can't be done. And that's what's happened so often throughout society. We, we take the most limited minds and we let them dictate what human nature is. And we, we let them go and collect the evidence that backs up their own biases, of course, because that's what always ends up happening. And we've had this increasingly smaller version of what humanity really means. And it's so mundane now, like we completely miss the mind blowing experience of existing simply because we're so busy thinking of ourselves as bodies. So I'm very curious about that. I'm very curious as to what's possible. And this is the reason that we talked about lucid dreaming. And it's the reason I've often expressed that I don't believe there is a difference between reality and what we experience in dreams. I think that the difference that we perceive is very much based on how attached we are to our own individual story, our own individual narrative. I think that that is part of the physical experience is possibly, possibly, being able to transcend the physical experience. And I think that's what Jesus was talking about. I think that that's what the original followers, followers of Jesus, if he did quote unquote resurrect, he didn't resurrect. That's the point. He just left the body, right? Because there's no point in, in, in holding on to the fiction of the body at all. This is why I always get a kick out of it where it's like Christians will say, oh, he resurrected. Look, that's where his body was. It's like, I think you missed the point. I think you've missed the point of everything that he was saying, right? that there is more to it than just the physical, you know, man does not live on bread alone, that kind of thing. Yeah. This is a lot of fun to talk about because yeah, there's, there's so many instances like going back to the moms lifting up cars, the, even something like the four minute mile, everyone was like so close to doing it for so long. Then one person did it. And all of a sudden fucking a hundred people did it so quick. So like, how many things are like that? Like really? And, and it's interesting when you start to see yourself just as reality and as everything and like how much, if, if I can move my hand, which is a taught thing that people have been doing for thousands and thousands of years, so I can see the proof of it being possible then I, over time, learn how to move my hand. And it's not something, not something that I have to think about. And we've talked about this before, like what really is possible because I'm like, I can, I can move each individual finger right now and not think about it at all. I'm not thinking like middle finger, ring, pointer, pinky, thumb. And so like how much of our reality can be manipulated when we actually let go and that's the jesus story and like we have all uh it's so funny talking about this like 
you know, when people going back to the chump change thing, when people are like, oh, my true potential. And it's like that idea of potential is like, you know, becoming a multimillionaire and having a big house. And it's like, for what? For who? Who is that for? Like, I get if you, you know, you want to have it for a functionality. Like, I'm not saying they're objectively bad things. I'm just, you have to wonder why. And is that really like, it's such a limited idea of our true potential. And it's like, there's two different conversations being had regarding true potential. And like, there's the egoic side. And then there's like the fucking I'm reality side. And that's the shit that's like water to wine, levitating, like manipulating telepathy, moving spoons and and whatever they were doing with that. Like, all that stuff sounds way cooler to be able to do, but it's, it's also that balance of not doing it for anyone. And so that was actually something that I was kind of thinking about regarding like the double slit experiment and our true potential is when those particles are being observed, they act differently than when they're not being observed and how often, how much of our action really comes down to how we're being perceived, how we're being observed by everyone. And that, that idea of potential, I feel like so many of us hold on to is relative to how we are going to be perceived. You know, we get our true potential is getting a great car, great house, you know, hot wife, whatever people want to throw in there. And it's all by, because we're being observed. It's not for us. It's not that, that, that good, not for that good selfishness we've been talking about a couple episodes ago. And, but then, so then think about what would true potential be if we weren't being observed, if there was no one to observe you, if you were here alone, what would your idea of potential be? How would that idea of potential shift for you if there was no one to observe you? Like how, how fucking weird is that to think about? Like, cause then all the potential is like manipulating reality. How much can you really do? Can you, you know, float a couple inches off the ground? Can you manipulate the way the clouds move? Can you manipulate the weather patterns? Like that's true potential when there's no one there to observe you. But as long as everyone's fucking running around trying to live based on this idea of themselves, they're being observed, their idea of potential completely shifts. It's totally different. It's based on the ego. It's based on how other people are going to perceive them based on as opposed to being based on all the dope shit you could do if you were by yourself. Like our ideas of potential are completely different in those two situations. That was fucking cool. I just want to say that. Like, that was a fucking solid insight, man, where it's about us being observed. But what's funny is that the only difference between us being observed by people and us not having anybody to observe us is identity. It's the ego. As soon as the ego is gone, it is just us. That's all it is. And we're back in this lucid dream type of environment where it's all just an extension of our own being. It's a reflection of our own perception of ourselves let's just say and how habitual that perception might be and so it becomes a totally different question we have plenty of evidence to at least support looking into this we've talked about david hawkins and and his studies in asking the body yes or no questions 
and over tens of thousands of people finding that all of the bodies had the same damn answers, regardless of the person's opinion. That's some crazy shit. That implies that there is some underlying foundational intelligence or at least sensitivity to the ebb and flow of reality. That's crazy. And then you look at the Global Consciousness Project, which has random number generators all over the world and have for like the last two or three decades, basically watching world events and then watching how the random number generators get less random as those world events happen. As more and more people's attention is drawn to a specific event, all of those number generators become less random. And they've been observing this for decades. Like 9-11 was, was one of their biggest examples. Those random number generators all of a sudden became a lot less random right around 9-11. It's because everybody's attention on, was on it throughout the whole world. So there is more happening in reality than we are prepared to admit. And I think a large part of that is just the fact that we don't want to be responsible. People want superpowers, sure. You know, it's kind of like um, the Discord conversation about this topic or this episode. And they used the example, and I know it was kind of tongue in cheek, of what, what's our potential babies lifting cars? And I thought that was funny because anybody who has a baby will know that's a terrifying prospect. The idea that a baby with as little as it understands about its environment and everything else could lift a car, that's not a possibility we really wanna go into unless we are also invulnerable and that has its own consequences and whatnot. So I think it's important that we recognize that we need to push our potential in increments to some degree, but that those increments seem huge to us because of the draw of familiarity. And that over time or over the procession of change, which is a better way of looking at it, generations will change. So while I wouldn't say it's a good idea to, to strive for car lifting babies, I would say that we can definitely strive towards a culture where 10, 11 and 12 year olds have enough self-awareness to not immediately get pulled into the biological influences of hormones and puberty and everything else that they actually have some degree of awareness as that's happening to them. That to me would be a fucking superpower. And I say that as, as, a, as a father to a 15 year old teenager, if we could get our culture to a point where in our teens, we can self-regulate. Could you imagine what's possible? Because the teens are the ones that have the most energy and the most potential. They're the ones that when they see the world as it is, they are out in everyone's face but we don't take them seriously because they lack clarity. We don't take them seriously because often they're egotistical and they're self-destructive. While they have a point, it undermines everything they're trying to accomplish. And so I think that's, that's potential, that's possible. If we can really just work at diminishing the walls between all of us throughout generations, so that way we all look at each other as each other, I think we'll, we'll find an entirely different way of working together and living. And as a result, perceiving the world. Now, this is why I enjoy some of the theories about uh, like the Great Pyramid, for example, that at one point when it was built, it may have been built with, with the use of, of telekinesis. It may have been built with the use of some lost art that involves our awareness and our, our conscious connection to the, to the observed. I think that's a fantastic theory. I love it. I, I, I think that why the hell not? I don't see why not at all. And sure, a lot of people would be like, ah, it's crazy talk. And it's always based on their own limitations. It's always based on what they aren't comfortable accepting may be possible.
It's the same thing as people refusing to admit that aliens might exist. You're not doing that because it's impossible. You're doing that because it makes you uncomfortable. And that's it. That's the only reason. So you may as well get over that discomfort and just accept you don't know because it makes life a hell of a lot more fun. And I think that in accepting that, science will start to change. And it's funny because that is a foundational belief in science. Everything's questionable. That's the scientific method. Even if they're like, this is absolutely more or less certain, like 99.9%, you know, and they'll, they'll say that. And it's like, not, not 100% because we don't actually know and we can't actually know. But it's so funny how often we forget that. How often we cling to that certainty, that desire for it to be 100% or just, you know, settle on it. Like, no, don't question it. Don't, don't question me. That's disrespectful. You're, you're being disrespectful. And, and like, that's where we're at. And it's such a limited perception of reality. And, and it all kind of, I guess it's all sort of cumulative that whole entire mentality, because it's all the collective and, and there's all pockets of the collective mentality and it, it's ebbing and flowing throughout all of reality and you know this this conversation dualistic unity is just a a pocket of that but as it grows you know more shifts begin to be made and and i i really think too with the superpower talk like people have so many egotistical ideas of superpowers but yeah like being able to see yourself in everyone being able to have that empathy like who's to say that isn't a superpower being able to let go of that idea of yourself, not get super fucking angry when someone judges you. Like, who's to say that isn't a superpower? It, it makes you miserable when you get pissed off. It, it makes you suffer. So what what could be a better superpower than suffering less, really? Like, oh, you, you want to fly and still suffer? You think flying is going to cure all of your suffering, all of your egotistical need and and senses of lack that you think it's just all going to get solved because you can, I don't know, run fast or jump high or be invisible or something like those, those are still like, it's still you, you're still coming along with it. You're still going through the shit. And so I think it like, there are superpowers you can sort of have not in the superhero type ideal, but in a sense, like, it could get you closer to that. And if, if your desire really is to stop suffering so much and, and feel free, like these are things that can lead you to experiencing that semblance of a superpower is not holding on to that idea of yourself so much, not thinking about yourself so much, not worrying about how that perception of yourself is constantly getting thrown around in the minds of others because you see that it doesn't actually exist. It's not actually there. They're just seeing, you know, more or less reflections of themselves and doesn't really have much to do with you. So who's to say that all of those things aren't also superpowers and, and through that process as a collective, we begin to recognize those things more and more like those current you know, superpowers of just having less idea of yourself can get deeper and deeper and deeper. And it comes with the collective shift comes more 
individual shifts, which comes to more collective shifts because, you know, there's no individual, there is no collective. It, it all just is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And what's interesting, I'm not going to say that it's not possible to do some pretty miraculous things. I'm not going to say that we can't from where we are now get to the water to wine phase right i'm not going to say that's not possible because for the last half of my life i've been very interested in it absolutely but what i always end up coming back to is the why why do i want to do this thing why do i want to break that barrier is it for my own reasons am i doing it to lift myself up to prove that i am somehow better and if that's the case then that's definitely not why i want to do it do i want to do it so i can go like hey look at me no, that doesn't seem right either. And then it, it dawns on me. And when you look at the Jesus story, Gloria and Excelsis Deo, glory to God in the highest. We're doing it for the whole. If we're doing it as the whole for the whole, then it's completely selfless, which means we're not doing it to show off. We're doing it because we actually are acting on the empathy that we feel with out the shackle of the limitations that we habitually tell ourselves. So all of a sudden, in a moment where we meet somebody who is, say, depressed or haunted by demons, we have access to a whole other arsenal of tools from the inside that we didn't access before because we were too busy being puppets made of meat. We couldn't see the connection because we were in the way. And so this goes back to selflessness or selfishness out the other end, however you'd like to put it, it really does have to be for its own sake because it means something to you that's not egotistical. And to me, the only two things I can imagine being the driving force for anything on the miraculous is either straight up enthusiasm, that's the one I'm banking on for sure, and empathy. I can see empathy and the ability to heal being absolutely connected but what does enthusiasm make possible and all i can think is creation all i can think is expression so i think there's a lot to explore in that and as i said at the beginning of this episode there is a whole conversation to have about like the astral realms and astral projection and and all of that other stuff we're not going to get into it in this episode because in all honesty i think that it, it might take us a little bit too far off the point of this episode which is that anything is possible so long as we can just get out of our way and do that in a sustained effort, not for our own egotistical need, but because we genuinely recognize how things work. We can actually see deeper than the assumptions that we made, that we can look at the wave and the particle and we can accept that they both have their purpose and that they both have their lessons. The potential and the actuality both have their lessons. I think that it's time that we started living a little bit more in our potential. Amen. Yeah. Now that last point you had about enthusiasm and the potential of that, like empathy is, if empathy is healing, that enthusiasm, what if that has to do with creation itself? Like, like just the enthusiasm being so enthralled in the situation for the sake of the situation, no egotistical desires, no idea of yourself involved, just being it. It's like you're creating yourself almost. 
as everything. And when I say yourself, I mean, reality, like that's, that could be what, what does it is, is being there for it creates reality itself. And that's you can where feel the energy, right? Like even just talking about it, you can feel that momentum. Can you imagine how much is po- possible just from that? Because it's not coming from any end result. It's coming from itself, which is crazy fun. Yeah. Yeah. Because like how many of our, our even just like inventions in the last couple hundred years came from just enthusiastic people doing something for the sake of doing it, not to be, you know, rich and famous. And so, you know, that's that's on a, a limited scale, you know, creating whatever. But is it though? Like we don't even know the impacts of any invention that's ever made. And like, could that not be directly equated to creation itself? Because it's all God doing it, right? Absolutely. That's the the point that people will often make that, oh, humanity, humanity is completely left nature. It's like humanity is nature. Whatever's happening right now is nature happening. We want to take ownership and judge ourselves and do that all, that whole egotistical thing. But the fact is everything that we're doing right now, one way or another is creating a new type of opportunity for this planet. It's creating a new type of energy for this planet. It's creating a new mentality for everything on this planet. Nothing is separate. Every invention adds to the whole. Everything is cumulative. It's all leading towards some insight that brings us into the next epoch of our existence right but it's all connected and that's why i find it so interesting that you're right it's the enthusiasm that leads to most of our our evolution most of our our steps forward in terms of technology mentality everything else this is why i had a great deal of respect for say socrates and his aspen grove as opposed to modern academia because there was no tuition at the aspen grove And there was nobody around going, oh, you really should go out and think deep things. They were all just trying to tell you to get a job and participate in society and do all that. But people who were interested would go out there and hang out and talk and explore. They were like the Gnostics in Jesus' time. They would just get together because that's what this is about. And they would look at things inquisitively and and curiously and enthusiastically. And that's what led to so many of our insights over the years. And it's evidence of exactly how backwards we've been for, for how long that all of those people usually end up getting murdered by the people who can't understand them. But those murders are happening less and they've been happening a lot less over the last say 50 years. You and I are having this conversation. We've been having it for a year. Nobody's threatened me. That wouldn't have existed hundred years ago, 200 years ago, thousand years ago. There's no way we would have been able to get away with questioning everything because the mentality at the time, the collective was terrified and we're still coming out of that trauma. That's the point. We're still coming out of that need to just cling and restrict and feel safe in a little cocoon that's fictional and doesn't exist, but at least it feels better and it blocks us from seeing all of our potential and what's possible. That's really the whole process that we're on. So it's a really interesting time to be alive and it's a really exciting change to be a part of, particularly when you realize that it is actually in your best interest to make this change for yourself. Don't change for the world. Don't change for anyone else. Let go of the idea that there is anyone else and it will actually be meaningful to you. Yeah. Do it. Do it for you because 
you're everyone anyway. But yeah, the enthusiasm part, one last thing was with the inventions and the enthusiasm, I, I find it interesting how nowadays with just the pursuit of profit and capitalism and everything, it's like, you know, take something like the iPhone, like every year there's a new one. It's like basically the same thing. There's like some tiny tweaks that they've probably known about for five years. They're just progressively like dropping it so that people buy it every single year. And it's like, cause that's not rooted in enthusiasm. It's rooted in just a desire for bottom line, for profit, for shareholders, for all of those external observed entities, observers, you know, and it's, it's a lack of enthusiasm. And that's why year over year, we're not really making leaps and bounds and not to say that that's ever really happened year over year, but there's, I don't know, there's a lot of examples of that. I feel like where there's just such a lack of enthusiasm that there's less novel things being created. It seems like. For sure. I mean, school, religion, science, it becomes the thing to do for a job. It becomes the thing to do to fit into society, the thing to do to pay your bills and all of the enthusiasm is gone. Right. Like how many kids do you know who go through high school and at the other end of high school don't want to pick up a book, even if it's not for an assignment, even if it's for their own good, even if it's just for them being interested in something. No, no, I don't want to read. Why would I read? I've actually had people ask me that. Why would I want to read? Why wouldn't you want to read? It's just another way of absorbing information. Why wouldn't you want to absorb information? Oh, right. Because you've been told what to absorb, whether you enjoyed it or not, for the majority of your life. And now whenever somebody brings up something you don't know, your immediate reaction is, I'm fine. Leave me the fuck alone. Stop telling me what to do. And that's that trauma. That's that shit that we're working through. And again, rather than superpowers, and I'm not saying I'll settle for you know, not having superpowers in my life because I'm willing to explore everything. Water to wine, man, that, that'd be super useful. But while that's all great, like I said, I, I would be very satisfied with a generation of teenagers that don't feel like that about learning, that aren't terrified to question because everybody else around them grew up terrified to question and punished for questioning. That I think would make the most impact. And if anything, would get us closer and closer and closer to being able to see reality a different way. Because if there is any generation that's able to question their reality the easiest, it's the younger generations, right? It's everything going up to our 20s because that's when the world really starts to strangle us a bit. It really starts saying, this is what is. Don't question it too much or you're going to be shunned. But up until that point, you have so much potential. And it's a shame that we piss it away in an institution that feels like a prison, but is laughingly being called school. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that's why, you know, the religious institutions want to get them so young. It's why kids start in school so young. It's because that's when they're the most vulnerable. That's when they are questioning everything besides, you know, what they're told to be doing. And then eventually it just gets beaten into them that, oh, this is, this is how it is. This is how it has to be. And that's how it is. And then it's like, there is no evolving or there's tends to be very little once they get, you know, into their past the age of 30, basically, it's like everything for the most part generally is pretty set in stone by then and just has been beaten into them more or less that this is how things are and just fit in 
and you know get your paycheck and hopefully you save enough to enjoy it by the time you're 65 that's it right over time all of a sudden the consequence of not fitting in gets beaten into our head and that just exacerbates the fear that was already beaten into our heads to begin with so you can see why we're so very fucked by the time we're 50 or 60 years old like there's so much in there that we just didn't know to be aware of when it was going in there so we're going to end this episode here because we could keep talking about this forever there is so much in this conversation and i just want to say that if you ever want to have this conversation in an ongoing way where we can really deep dive into it attend one of our retreats because this is the kind of conversation that deserves a coffee a break a walk all kinds of stuff because this is a fun conversation and i do want to say that the retreat that's coming up we will be exploring exactly how much influence a group of people who all know they're one can really have because i'm very curious and it's the reason i'm very excited about this retreat and the other retreats to come and the eventual events that we will be holding hopefully gathering hundreds and thousands of people in different locations all over the world and doing even more than they did in 1993 in washington because nothing says it's not possible but it's all up to you live for you and that is enough yeah this this conversation's a lot of fucking fun but it's even more fun when you can have it over an extended period of time when you're on a walk with someone like that's when you can really get into things so yeah i couldn't be more excited for all this stuff coming up because there's going to be a lot more opportunities for that and not only having the conversation but you know being able to practice and potentially implement some of the things that we're talking about that have been done before but a lot of them not in a very very long time so you know why not you <laughs> absolutely one day a, an event at the retreat will be car lifting i'm just kidding Thanks everyone for joining us. We will see you next week for the next community topic. Do remember that if you would like to suggest a topic, just join us on Discord or Patreon. You can suggest a topic and the community can vote on it. We do have a contest right now where you can win some free Dualistic Unity merch. All you have to do is go to the website, dualisticunity.com, find the contest form, enter your favorite Dualistic Unity quote and the details of what episode it's from, and you could be in the running for either a Dualistic Unity hoodie or a t-shirt or a tote bag, could be anything. So thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next week. Bye, everyone.